this beginning part of the podcast now where I experiment with what we fade over and then <laughs> make a big scene of it, but then no one else gets to know. And then you get to hear the cool jazzy music. Yeah, yeah. There. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's generous calling the music cool and jazzy. It is cool and jazzy. Go fuck yourself. I love it. It's mm. one of my favorite podcast musics. How did you find it? Uh, it's a it's the instrumental of a famous, uh, not famous, but a favorite hip hop song of mine. It's an atmosphere song. Wow. But it's just the instrumental. It's really good production. The guy uh, that's the second half of that group was like, it's kind of cliche now, but he was sort of a pioneer of like mixing... Um, like seventies stuff. <laughs> Sorry, the soundboard. And, and now it's buzzing. Can you get control of yourself, please? I can't. The show, the show has begun, and it's off the rails. We've been recording for one minute and forty-seven seconds. All better. I'm, so, I'm so excited to see this soundboard in action, <laughs> and I get to see when Will is like going for it too. Yeah, yeah, I. I this will be interesting because I have to do a lot of editing on the back end to make his timing any good at all. Will, is that a full mustache? Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. I mean, be, your, wor- great. be your worst self, 2020. I, don't, I mean, uh, you know, as long as I'm a nice person when I leave the house, I can be like a French slash Connecticut porn actor uh, every other hour of the day. I think it's fine. I love it. I yeah. love it. It looks really great. I'm into it. I think you should keep it, too. I like it. No. I'm a fan. No, because it shows my double chin right now, because I've been snack-a-lacking, so... I I suppose I might as well just out him right now. Will bought a bathing suit that doesn't fit him, because he's put on a few. (laughs) Full muffin top. Like, in a way that I was like, oh, no. I was saying to my mom, I was like, I don't know if I've gained weight or how much weight I've gained, because I don't have a scale... Because I don't like like getting into that game with myself. And then she's like, have you put on your jeans? And I was like, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the pants all fit, but the pants are always all stretchy. And, you know, the Uniqlo pants have the elastic back. So, like, I, w- I have to try on a suit pant and see if that fits. And then that'll be the guide of, like, oh, no. Because all I've been wearing is very soft pants. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. it. Oh, no. I actually did end up putting my jeans on. It was a little tight, but yeah, I had to go go out into the world. So yeah, two percent elastane saves saves a life. <laughs> Fully yeah. saves a life. I can't wait till you become a like a huge man that has to wear elastic waistbands <laughs> on everything, like at weddings and stuff. You know, you know, Those I type of guys. Here's the thing: like, I've I, this is the first time I've ever put on any weight like up here <laughs> and like in in here so i'm like okay i'll keep that but like it comes with a little tire action so i don't know how i feel about that that's my trouble spot i love that you talk i love that chris talks to will like he's a fat boy when he's not fat at all oh i'm a chubster i have to turn the tables on him somehow i don't really have much much of a way of needling will otherwise he's pretty um (laughs) bulletproof he's a fat boy in waiting (laughs) there's a 300 pound man that lives inside me just Mm, bursting at the seams right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, says I who just made risotto and put like a ton of butter in it. Oh, so. that sounds like heaven. It was great. Mm. What did you cook the... Sorry, Ulrika. I know this is like your show, that, but I have questions for Will right now. I love this. What did you cook the other day that you used like four sticks of butter for? Because there was at one point there was like eight sticks of butter in the fridge and the following day I went in there and there was less than half that left. Yeah, you want to know what that was, bitch? That was your... 
fucking peanut butter cookies. Can you make peanut butter cookies? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I can. Can you do it now? Uh, I need to eat first. Uh, <laughs> but you're going to make cookies, right? And I'm like, I guess. And then I'm eating my actual dinner. And then uh, cookies are ready? I'm like, no, no, there's no cookies ready because I have to sustain myself before I can provide. Thank you. I'm so entertained by your guys' inside baseball. <laughs> like the whole story with you and the mashed potatoes I've shared with my mother. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't. I really don't like that that story is leaking beyond our, our Do listening. Do you like audience. that fact that I was on a FaceTime with both of my parents and describing how you made mashed potatoes without cooking? <laughs> Ulrika, were they ashamed of me? Were they? Were they? Were they like? We're not mad. We're just disappointed. <laughs> They were shocked. They were like, wait, how does that? And I guess people just don't know how to cook. (laughs) And then a a week later, I then made them for my bird and then went, here, try this, child. See if this is a potato that you're... Is is this the potato you're seeking? Yes, it is. I know. Mm -hmm. It's delicious. My temporary roommate is um, the best, but not much of a cook. So I'm, I'm teaching him some stuff, too. That's great. A little bit of a control freak, so he just has to watch. Yeah, <laughs> your, yeah. your palm moment looked delicious. Oh, it was great. Yeah, I've had some good moments. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, no, it's been pretty good. I like It's good to get creative with the cooking. But I, I do wish I was like a little more inspired. But I made my first quiche. Ooh. Great. This risotto was really good. Quiche is tough. How did it come out? It can be watery if you don't do it right. It was, that was fine. I just forgot to butter the, the pan. So it was like, it was really stuck to the sides of oh, the shit. pan. Yeah. Well, then you just like don't have crispy edges and you just have like fun middle parts. Still pretty crispy. It was just mostly really hard to clean the pan. Oh, just, there's that. Yeah. Soaking. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've insisted in my shame of not making mashed potatoes correctly that I go back to my usual strategy, which is never use more than one pan. I'm fine if I only need to use one pan. <laughs> I think that's my temporary roommate's strategy as well. Ugh. Yeah. Just just as, as long as it goes into a saute pan and you cut it up small. Yeah, yep. <laughs> that's how you deal with a potato. Yeah, that's the incapable man strategy, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I was I was meant to be born in like the nineteen forties. I was supposed to fight in a war and come home to a wife that could cook and never have to learn any of these skills. I've done a pretty good job, all things considered. I'm a man out of time. I'm learning that I'm a pretty good housewife, um, even like, and it's like kind of my job too. So, <laughs> and now I'm doing it double time because of uh, now I'm I'm not only my boss's personal assistant, but also my parents' personal assistant. Oh yeah, yeah. Them today I was. What do you do? Like I saw packing. What are you packing? Um, my childhood home. Okay. Uh, my parents are stuck in Sweden for anybody who doesn't know. And, um, the lease went up on their apartment and they tried to get in touch with them to like renegotiate or whatever. And they didn't really get in touch. And then my mom has pretty bad asthma and New York doesn't seem to be like the best in. And they were only planning on staying for another year. So, we just like made the call that we we're going to move out because it's not worth it to keep it for another year because it's like a three bedroom apartment in Manhattan that they're not going to be in and they were going to move out anyway. So, um, so I found out, I mean, there's a lot leading up to it, but I found out officially 
last Friday that this was happening. And um, I have been working nonstop since Monday and Friday, the movers come. So in one week, we're moving out of an apartment that they've been in for 40 years that I like home from the hospital to uh, and left as if they were going to come to the apartment um, in three weeks that they were just going to be gone for three weeks. So, I mean, like we're talking like laundry in the hamper. Like I found their pajamas in the bed. It was so, I mean, it's, it's been a heavy, <laughs> a heavy few days and I'm like right in the thick of it. So, Well, we were talking privately about how weird and like sort of cinematic that is. It feels like it's from a, from like contagion or something like that's a very uncanny scene it's it's so cinematic and it's like i thought it was going to be interesting to talk to you because you've talked a lot about sentimentality and i don't really like being sentimental so i think i like kind of projected like oh i'm not sentimental i've moved more than like any human being like between 18 and 30 i moved 30 times, 30 different households. I lived in New Orleans, New York, three different cities in Sweden and London. And I was like back and forth and just moving all the time. And then I, you know, New Brunswick. Right. Mm. <laughs> um, but I was like, I've always had very few things. But then I was like, I said to my brother today, I was like, the one I've had my parents' apartment as this kind of like, lighthouse you know it's where I always end up and it's like always there we've always been there and like that house or that apartment is just like a tornado of sentimentality like every like the bathroom floor I mean like all day Monday I was just crying all day I was like packing and crying and logistics and I like the bathroom tile I was like looking at the floor I'm like I looked at that floor when I was a child, when I was like a drunk teenager, you know, and it was like before the internet and you didn't have anything to do but think. And it's just like, I really looked at that apartment, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's been really wild <laughs> to do this right now. Also, you know, I miss my parents uh, and to be like in their home with all their stuff is Oh yeah, I mean the ra- the rare element of having their stuff like left in motion. Yeah, that's unusual in any circumstance because, like, you know, in any typical move, that's not going to happen. Everybody's preparing for a long time for it. It's very strange. Like when you said you found their clothes, like I, there's something too intimate about that, especially when it comes to your parents. Like, yeah, that would be kind of. It's not only creepy and like existential. It's like. I don't know. That's part of their lives that you didn't necessarily have access to or weren't supposed to. Right. Thankfully, there's been nothing. I, I can't believe it. There's been nothing weird that I found that was like too awful. <laughs> like, I was just like, oh, God, is there going to be anything that I find that I don't want to know about? And it's, you know, like we've had to go through. I have, had, you know, we're getting movers and they're going to pack. I mean, like everything about this, like. A, the only other situation this would happen is if somebody dies suddenly, yeah, right? Right. Um, thank God they're both healthy. So blessed. Thank God that we have, like, the money to hire movers. And I'm just like, right now, I'm just like, people are doing this because people have died or they're, like, they can't afford their homes anymore, you know? Yeah, and yeah. for me, it's been 
insanely sad. Like it's been so heavy and I have like all of the best circumstances around it. So I'm just like, my heart just goes out to everybody. Cause this is like cleaning out your home, your childhood home also by yourself. It's like, that's one other thing that I didn't, I almost suspected it, but because we haven't seen anybody, um, now I've like come into contact with like doorman and uh and like the computer guy had to move my father's like server out of the apartment and it's like I've just known these people forever and I just got to see them from six feet away and you know talk to them and as soon as they're like they just look at you you know I start bawling like in front of the fat computer guy (laughs) but I just started crying and the thing is like usually when you have an emotional moment like that you go in for a hug Right. But it's like you're just standing there in front of somebody, just looking at each other. It's like really intense to like do those things, but it's also kind of beautiful because it's just like you're just letting it be. Like there's no covering it over. And because I've done like, I've done all of this like meditation and like my whole thing is to not avoid emotions and to be present and like see everything. It's like, been really hard but i'm just like trying to meet uh everything that comes up as it comes up and it's intense but i think it's just like okay this is happening right now this is happening right now in the beginning i think the problem was that it was so and the hardest thing with meditation is when you're like restless and it was like i had grief and like confusion it was very confusing and my mind just kept on bouncing all over the place and then it was just like, that was really tough. Um, like just being sad, I can be sad, but then there's just this like, oh, firestorm of memories and all this stuff to deal with too. Right. That's like a, that's a real pressure cooker of emotion, you know, because you described it as sort of papering it over with things like hugs or, uh, you know, any sort of sentimental gesture that anybody uses in a time of grief. But um yeah, without without being able to do that, it's all internal. And if you don't let it out or if you do, I mean, it's incredibly intense. Like, does the pressure cooker analogy make sense? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's, I've had – and then it's also made, like, real clear about, like, I've thought a lot about how, like, I want support versus – because sometimes it's, like, with grief, a lot of the times you're just, like, I don't have anything to say. And then sometimes you're like, oh, I just can't stop talking about it, right? So it's like, I need to reach out. One friend just, like, started asking me all these logistical questions. I'm like, I don't have, I don't want to answer this right now. Just, right. like, be like, how are you? I'm sad. That sucks. Or, like, I'm thinking about you today is usually, like, enough, you know? But um, now, today, I've been, like, t- really, really tired, but I took a nap today for 45 minutes, and I woke up, and I was just like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fi-. Like, this is fine. You're doing great. Just keep moving, you know? Aren't they great? Aren't they great, mem- like, true brain resetters? You're just like, oh, I was just tired, like a, like a full toddler. I was about to have a meltdown, and then so I just went down for 45 and then popped up. I'm like, oh, okay, let's do this. All right, great. It was something else, that nap today. It was really <laughs> like three nights of, like, not wanting to fall asleep. You know, when you're, like, you, you're, you're in bed and you're tired, but you're just like, just one more thing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, right. 
And then I can't help waking up at like 6.45. And then if I wake up at three in the morning, I'm like, um, uh, I need to clean out all those chemicals out of that cab. You know, so you're just like, it's not been very restful. But today it was like, I had, I had that beautiful reset nap and I feel, <sighs> I feel pretty human again. <laughs> Finally put yourself out. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot about like anticipation of the future being an element of this. Like when you found out this was going to happen, you made a really conscious effort to not really dwell on it or think about it too hard until you had to, meaning when you get in there and start moving, but how are you dealing with that now that there's sort of like an end point? Like if the movers are coming on Friday, are you dwelling on tomorrow and Friday as like, oh no, it's the second to last day. Oh no, it's the no, last day. No, I'm still, I mean, it's still, it's so fast. This is like really, really ripping off the bandaid. And it's like, I've cried so much. And then like, you can't, I just cry, you know, I'm like, I, it doesn't even mean anything anymore. I'll just start like bawling. And I'm just like, oh, there it comes again. you know. And then it's like, I'll be super busy emptying out jars of jalapeno from um, 2017 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're just like, uh, oh, you're not really feeling anything. And then I've also had some, any, as any time with like big emotions, I've had some pretty giant laughs too during this. But I'm going to cry like a motherfucker on Friday when I'm standing in that empty apartment. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, have you have you gleaned anything? Sorry, Will, did you do you want to go? Oh, I was just going to add a, little, a moment of levity where, like, okay, so when they cut the bedside tables, just take some tape, slap the drawer closed, and just be like, take it, not opening that. You get to take that. I'm not touching that. Bye-bye. What, Will, what I did was I just took my mom. She had a drawer. I just dumped it into a bag and put it in a suitcase. I didn't even see anything. Even better. See, I was just... I was just advising big blue tape. Thwap, 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 thwap. <laughs> Gotta go. Okay, take it. It's good to go. I don't want to know. Don't care. Don't know. No, thank you. Uh, Will's no, thoroughly has... unsentimental moving advice. <laughs> no, that's self-protective moving advice. You don't want to go to that drawer. No, no. No. I hear you. The only... I want to share... This was a big laugh for me. So my dad does... He doesn't keep a diary, but he keeps small, he keeps uh, books, like calendars, small calendars, and then he'll write real short factual entries. Like if he goes out to dinner with somebody, it's like Rangers game with Frederick, you know, real pithy stuff. And he has these every day he's done this more or less back to, he has these tiny books back to the uh, late 70s. What? No, 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 sorry. Uh, late 60s. Late what? 60s. So he could basically, like, look up, you know, uh, 1991 and know who we went out to dinner with. That's Warhol-level shit. That is really cool. I aspire to that, but I can't do it. It's it's kind of amazing, and I was like, I'm very... My parents have always been, like, really, really respectful of my space. They've never gone in, into my stuff, and I felt the same way for them. I, like, returned the favor. You know, they told me what to look in and what, you know. Um, there was nothing that exciting. But when I got to these books, I was like, I broke my dad's trust. I pulled out 1981 and looked up the day of my birth. And I'm sitting there bawling right and then it says it says 8 30 in the morning christina and i go to the hospital christina went upstairs around noon i got to see ulrika at 12 50 
everything is good. She's a well-formed baby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Dad is a regular Hemingway. That's beautiful. I'm a well-formed baby. And I, I literally, I, I just, I howled in the apartment. It's so my dad too, you know? And then it was like, and then he was like, uh, went home and talked to mother and we called my grandmother in Sweden and let them, you know, it's just like this kind of entries. And then like a couple days later, it was like, uh, took Frederick to the hospital. He was very curious about the new baby. And it's just, yeah, it's pretty wild to read that stuff. It was pretty amazing. Well-formed baby title of app. Oh yeah. Oh, there it is. Nailed it. Right. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. I mean, like having that kind of prominent provenance, for a whole life is fascinating. Like, you know, um, imagine if you had that for every figure in history, like from the most minor person to the most major, like, you know, I don't know. There, there's, there's great works that are basically that like Alexander the great wrote his own story or Caesar or whatever. And, like your dad's sort of doing that. It's crazy. It's sort of amazing. Cause it's, there's no emotions. It's just facts. But the fact that he's written it down is so emotional. You know what I yes, mean? Like, yes, it's so exactly. beautiful that it's there. And then I was also thinking, I was like, who is this for? You know, it's like, it's for him. He's done it for himself. Mm-hmm. Like, and then it's like, for me now. Yeah, you know? what, what you're learning like, is that it's for you, ultimately. Yeah, but I'm like, I, like out of the people who are, yeah, I mean, I guess my brother will be interested in it. It's very, because it's just so dead. It's like in his you know obviously it's in his words but it's just so it's just so blunt i love it it's really good yeah i mean even outside of his own children i mean it's for posterity like my mom did a lot of genealogy when i was growing up and it's kind of stunning that especially before like 1950 the lack of record of what anybody was doing where they even were what their name was I mean, like, having documentation that thorough of your life is, like, something that people five generations from now in your family or otherwise will appreciate. Yeah. It's interesting to me, though, that that's maybe not even the motivation for it. Like, it feels like you're kind of implying that you know something about your dad that I don't. That, like, he would have... But he doesn't, he doesn't, like, he hasn't been, like, you know, it has happened where it's, like, we're talking about, it was, like... We went to that, what restaurant was it? You know, you'll have a conversation and then he'll disappear for a while and then he'll come back. And he was like, that was in March of uh, 19th. And we went to this restaurant and he'd be like, dad, that's nuts. <laughs> you know? But he doesn't like you, like these books don't come up that frequently. So, but it was just like, those were part of the the, the things that, you know, like that and like paperwork and like, super valuable things I've like collected and um, taken myself and then everything else goes to the movers. But I love, I love those little books. It was really, that was really special. So that was like, that was a big laugh and also really like emotional. And again, I took a picture of it and I could talk to him about it, you know, which was also beautiful. I I would imagine that his responses were uh, similarly brief. (laughs) No, he laughed. He thought it was funny. It was like, he was like, I was like, Dad, you wrote I was a well-formed baby. (laughs) (laughs) He looked kind of proud. He was like, yep. (laughs) 
You know, I told my my grandma maybe the second or third last time I talked to her that um, it's a little morbid, but that like when they pass, when my grandparents on my dad's side pass, I was like, I want the papers. Like everybody else can have the furniture. They can have the money. I want the papers. I want every document in your house that I know that everyone in my family doesn't care about, except for my uncle, who's a lawyer, maybe. And they're going to trash it. But I was like, no, that's where all the good shit is. That's where all the secrets are. That's where like all the valuable data is. It's so it's like it's like your your Proust questionnaires a little bit where it's like what's your most sentimental object and it's like going through the house there's or like the apartment there's all these yeah it's like I'm really like and then being present with all of it I'm really like you know clothes or like a certain towel like everything looks a little different but it's yeah. all so familiar it's um but yeah like papers is like yeah I didn't think that that, that you would get you know, I'm so good at throwing stuff away, but this house, like apartment, I'm really like appreciating the shitty wooden spoon that we we stir stuff with. You know? yeah. it's like it's really nice. Yeah, there's very few things people keep over the long term. Um, yeah. I want to return to the to the idea jalapenos. Of, oh yeah, definitely. You got to keep you got to keep those 2017 jalapenos. They're a vintage <laughs> from Bordeaux. <laughs> they get better with age. So gross. It's not vodka. It won't go bad. It's fine. Yeah. Um, you, you and my dad are on the same page. <laughs> um, I wanted to I ask you about wine. What's that? I also took some wine. Oh, good. I, I some wine out, yeah. <laughs> wow, you're a regular wine thief now. You should get into the higher end stuff. Start doing Ocean's Eleven style heists on per se or something. Yeah, I, could, yeah. I don't really drink that much alcohol, but oh, you know what I did though? I looked. For a bottle of triple sec for you guys. Why? I have it because you talked about that on some episode because you were making you were making cocktails and I was like, if oh, they have yeah. a triple sec, I'm going to give it to them so that they can make a proper. What was it, Cosmo or yeah, something? Yeah, it was a Cosmo. Mm. Yeah. Well, but I thought of you guys as I looked through the liquor cabinet. That, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, I will definitely accept it, even though um based on the mashed potato incident, it's obvious I don't know how to make much of anything. So I, I'll <laughs> drink it, but we'll have to do the mixology that's when you just pull a bottle of aquavit and ship it to brooklyn and then (laughs) you know torst that i can hook you guys up with oh man so have you learned anything positive about sentimentality because you sort of started this conversation off by sort of saying that like sentimentality has been something to avoid for you i'm really interested in your experience with this move because i have to imagine that that might have changed a little bit. Um, I guess the, the problem that I had with sentimentality is like the, like the sorrow involved in it, right? Like that's what I was trying to avoid. It's not the joy. I mean, like now talking about like the, the nice things, of course it's nice to talk about. It's beautiful. I'm really grateful for it. But the part is like that it's laced with, it's so melancholy, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then um, walking through the door on Monday like I haven't been in this apartment in a couple months. I haven't, you know, that was when it was just like, shit was bananas. Like I said, in the beginning when it was so, it was so um, confusing all the feelings. And now that it's settled down, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm really, the sentimentality is good. It's just, it's gratitude, you know, like if you're feeling about it, I feel grateful for a lot of stuff. Um, Yeah. And then also it also, 
Uh, the fact that it sparks memories that you've forgotten and it's just like, it's all of these like full feel, you know, like you're, you're right back there since you haven't re repeated the memory so many times in your head. It's so fresh. So there's like, yeah, that's cool too, you know? Um, but my friend who I'm, who's staying here, he's like, he was talking about how he was having flashes of childhood memories during quarantine. And I'd been having them before I was even in the apartment. And I was like, I think it's because we're not doing stuff all the time. Like we have time. I talked to Hannah about it too. Yeah. We have time to kind of like remember all yeah. of these things. Well, and, and when is the last time you felt any, uh, well, that you felt this untethered or unresponsible? It's when you're a kid. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, so then it's like kind of those memories. I was like, there's another one um, in my bedroom. There was like a little hole on in the floorboard of next to the closet. And I remember as a kid, that hole was the exact size of my barrette. And I stuck my barrette in there. And then I started pushing the barrette into the like under the floorboard. And there was the moment that I was like, if I push this any further, I'm never getting it back. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just like, I just pushed it in. And then I was like, huh, that's like what it's like to give something. Up. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a specific memory. I was like, that's a kid who does not have um, an iPad. Who's like sitting around shoving a barrette into a floor hole. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, yeah, it's like a different way of thinking about things that we're getting in touch with again, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're just triggering something in me. I didn't even think about it. But earlier today, I was having a flash of a memory where um, we I grew up with one German Shepherd that was like the prize dog of all time. Her name was Duchess. My mom loved her. Everybody loved her. But as she aged, we got a second dog that we rescued from somebody in Las Vegas. And when the second dog came to the house, I felt so bad for Duchess that like, in some way, this was a violation of that relationship that I spent an entire day in the yard. In my mind, it was an entire day. It was probably an hour or something. Right. But I followed her around and I just like spent time with her and like pet petted her and was like kind of apologizing to her. Like, I'm sorry that this has been broken and that there's a new right. thing here, but I'm going to spend this last day with you only. It was cool, but when you're, yeah, and then when you're a kid, you have these just, like, very honest reactions to stuff without, like, multiple layers of, and then this person will think this about what I'm thinking. Right. Or at least that's how I live my life. My, I'm constantly, like, eight layers deep of, like, reflecting, which I'm, I do feel like quarantine, next level of, like, I, I don't give a fuck in a new level, in a new way. I thought about it when you talked about your Proust or, or um, when you talked about your answer to the Proust questionnaire, Will, when you were talking about your greatest achievement and like, uh, and that like when you, you switched your, when you were having trouble with your job and then you were like, that's it. I'm going to make this, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do it. Like I'm a grown up. I'm going to do this stuff. And it's just like, yeah, you have the power to do, like, I was I'm not proud of you because that sounds, like, paternalistic or something, but I was like, yes, that impulse all the time is always available to you. We can do whatever we want, you know what I mean? And it's just this, like, 
I was so like, it's inspiring to hear that kind of a thing. And I feel like if we can get like, for me, the more I can get rid of like worrying about stuff and then I can get back to having those like much more honest reactions to like how I'm feeling and not like question everything all the time. It's like the better off I am like, and nobody owes me anything. I need to take charge of what I need to take charge of. And also I don't in the same way, it's like, it's not my responsibility of taking care of other people. I do because I love them, but like, I can't answer a text out of like, just cause you sent me a text. It's like right now I need to do this or, you know, I, but I mean, obviously guys, a little codependent. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> like, I do think that that's, really important especially if we're gonna move forward after this covid stuff with like just remember you always have that choice because i don't want things to be the same i don't and i feel like the apartment thing in a weird way has been like i almost i have beliefs that you like basically all the experiences you have are things that you've brought on yourself like that you want to have them on some level and I'm like, I, I wanted to do this. Like, I wanted to take care of this apartment and, like, clean it up and, like, close it out for everyone. Yeah, I, I will say that, like, uh, I don't know. I don't want it to sound like I'm being patronizing either. But, like, I think you're really lucky that you get to be in charge of this and do it by yourself. Like, for example, I lost my childhood home in my parents' divorce. And I had no control over it. And I wasn't even there. And it was like an incredibly yeah. damaging experience for a decade. And yeah. I did, you know, it has, it has obviously more to do with than just the house, but like yeah. never really having the last moment with it, you know, like it's brutal when you're rooted yeah. in a place and it has sentimental value for you, whether you like it or not, um, getting to actually deal with it and grieve it is the best possible outcome. Yeah, but then also that you're, you can also, I need to do this on my own this time so that I know what it feels like going forward. Like, this is like a learning thing, right? So now I can probably do it better with other people Yes. now that I've had a chance to do it on my own. Because it's like, man, my parents are mad social. They too had many dinner parties like I did, <laughs> you know? It's like that apartment, if there's ever been an apartment that deserves like a throwdown, like last cocktail party, it's that place. Right. You know? So it would be like really nice to do that. But um, yeah, you're right. There is something I've thought about, like, it would be so nice to have one last dinner there with the whole family. But then there's also like, it's nice to have dinner there by myself so I can like really blubber, <laughs> like, sure. really cry <laughs> without worrying about freaking them out <laughs> well you know there there's something to the ritual of a funeral and like that's what you're doing yeah i, I mean I, I it just occurred to me though that like um given what little i know of your family and like the dinner parties that you've hosted I, in in other cultures like in sweden i wonder are funerals so dour probably not uh well swedes aren't super great with their emotions <laughs> So, yeah, I'm like, what? What? No, it, you're just gonna sit quietly. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's not a funeral in Sweden. It's not that fun, other than like the general, um, 
the thing that happens with a lot of funerals is like it's so fucking sad that the after party like it's not called an after party but like (laughs) the get together after the funeral like in my experience of the funerals i've been to there's like a good amount of laughing oh absolutely yeah 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 the the post the post cemetery luncheon is always supposed to be like a fun time or at least if you do it as an adult you're like well i'm sad oh drinking we're gonna start now okay (laughs) great who's got my martini hand is empty who's gonna fill it right you're all sad too i don't give a shit someone get me a fucking drink i'm gonna stab somebody hi yeah Mm. yeah no so there's like yeah i think it's just like allowing space for all of the different things like the real sad cry um me and my mom have had a couple you know like when i first called her when i went into the apartment had a nice sad cry then you know like then we'd call and we talked and we reminisce. Yeah, it is. It's totally like a grief process. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's an apartment, so it's not, and you know, everything's fine, but it is still just like, it's, yeah, it's been crazy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I want to press you on the sentimentality thing. Cause I think I've always spotted a difference in our thinking when it comes to that. Like sentimentality and melancholy and the sorrow that comes along with all of that. Like to me, I've always felt like that was a powerful weapon. Like that's not something to be avoided. You can really use that in your life. But I also don't, I also don't know whether that's just like masochistic or something. What? How how do you mean use it as a weapon? Yeah. What? Like dwelling, dwelling in that space can get your mind to a place that um, trying to leave it behind can't. I don't have a particular application of that, but like there's a fine line between like nostalgia and melancholy, right? And you don't want to tip over into nostalgia where you're sort of abusing your memories and repeating them for the saccharine qualities, but you can call things back up from that sorrowful place that can lead you a different way. I hear that. I, it's, uh, my mom, my mom said something like she was like, I don't want it to sound like we're complaining about this, you know, but it's like, it's still like, there's something about like a, a complaint aspect or like to feel, you don't want to like imbue, like feel sorry for me. But at the same time, like I sentimentality I don't know, for some reason, like, makes me feel like a little, it, that word feels a little drippy to me, you know? Like, I'm so sentimental. Oh, it's very drippy. It's precious moments. It's, oh. Yeah, like, like I think you're right. Almost. I, I want to be clear that I think we're talking about something else. Yeah. It's just that we're... Be- I think we're it's bet- more melancholic. Maybe, but we're between symbols here. There's, like, a space yeah. between sentimentality and, I don't know, yeah, and melancholy or some combination of well, both. What... I don't know. I'm, I just keep thinking, like, again, let's make it dumb. So, you know, when Thor Ragnarok, Asgard is where the people are? Like, when you're closing out, like, a deceased relative's house, you're usually doing it with, with the family, and then you just find weird shit, and you're like, what the fuck is this? And then you tell a weird, <laughs> stupid story, and you're just like, what? And then it's yeah. just, like, the the level of, in, not insanity but like the confusion and the emotions reach ahead where it's about the shared experience where it's like you know like you get you're doing this like you're closing the chapter as a solid person but like you don't unfortunately you're not getting that like that other realization of like well 
the parents are here they're packing it up to like that share like that camaraderie of closing together right is missed which does suck but like that that's the thing in like grieving when someone kicks it like that's the thing that gets people through the process because then they can like have a full-on breakdown when they find like what the fuck is this yes and someone's like oh <laughs> yeah i remember that one sit down let me tell you a story pour your drinks on and you're like okay <laughs> yeah we have done today wednesday so it's day three of me like actually doing this i had like a pretty big like now all the most of the stuff that i've had to do has been done so and i've been having this experience and i've also been because my parents and my brother aren't doing this with me i've been like super conscious of the fact that they're not seeing this so i'm really trying to relay all of this experience to them like when i had dinner i sat down in dad's seat and like took a video of like looking in both out of the both of the directions and the windows that you can see which he's done like five thousand million times you know what i mean and like i sent that and i talked with my brother about it and he was like he was just like, yeah, yep, yep, that was, yep, you know? And I'm, like, trying to, like, close, like, trying to really do all the things and, like, let them see the cabinets emptying and, like, sharing, like, this thing that I found. With so I'm trying my best to yeah. kind of, like, relay that experience. And with today, the tools you have, yeah. Yeah. So today we had, we had like, kind of, yeah, I think that's why today has been kind of, like, a, a turn. Like, if you guys, I wouldn't have been able to do this <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really thoughtful and generous, but God, in some ways, what a, what a bird, an extra burden. I don't think so. I think I like it. Yeah. That's your masochism. That's what, that's what he's talking about. That's your actual masochism. Like, go ahead. But like, well, yeah, you know, as you were saying that I was thinking like, if I was in your shoes, I would actually want to do it completely alone. But I never thought about the effect that would have on other people how selfish that is it is masochistic because it's it's kind of a cool like i'm sorry to like sound so pithy i don't mean to diminish this but like what you're doing is cool like that's an interesting thing you're going to remember forever not many people get to do that it feels it feels like art i mean i've taken all these videos of walking around the apartment like i cleaned up like they'd put all the plants on the dining room table for me to water and they had like all died except three I cleaned up all of those and threw them all away. And then I put the the living plants back where they are. And then I like videoed the house Mm -hmm. and like took memory shots so that it was like as normal looking as possible. Like I put away stuff. And it's like, it is like, it's like kind of like me directing like this stuff as it goes along. And then it's, I've always liked narrative art, you know, and like, you know, how you open the closets and like, you know, like really like taking videos with this kind of stuff in mind. And then like, I spoke to you and I was just like, shit, I have to go there and then I'm gonna have like a roller bag and like, you know, put the, the last will and Testament, like the frozen ravioli and like (laughs) in a roller bag and roll it over here. You know, thankfully sweet, sweet Zach and Alyssa, that he has a pickup truck and they had to come to Manhattan anyway. So they met me outside my apartment and I packed like a bunch of stuff over and then they drove me over here. But yeah, no, it's been very like, 
even that I took a picture of like the cart with all the stuff outside to send it to my parents so that they can like see all of this stuff happening. Right. All I can think is wait till two years from now when your creepy iPhone is like, you have a new memory. And then it puts oh, music no! to all of these things. Oh, and get ready. You have no choice but to just yeah. open it on your home screen. Holy shit. You could also um, not open it. I mean, Oh, you're going to open it. That is, that is sick. That is sick. That's why I was doing a lot of this on my, on my fancy camera. <laughs> Oh, oh, very good. Okay. Well, that yeah. that's, yeah. You don't need yeah. to give Apple sentimental uh, ammunition to unload on you at a later date. That's, <laughs> yeah. no thank you. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I have some on my phone too. Also, the, the night, the Monday when I was there, I was there like pretty late and I watched the sunset. And like the thing about this apartment is its view is... It's on the 18th story looking east and there's no buildings blocking it. And you can like see a little sliver of river. You can see those red and white chimneys. Yeah. And it's crazy. And it's like the moon is because it's like full moon tomorrow. It, the sky, you know, I just took these like absolutely beautiful photos out that window too. Also, yeah, you're right. It's been like wildly cinematic. Well, and, and I was so fascinated by the idea that you pitched earlier that you're sort of you're doing a directorial thing and you're doing cinematography for your parents. Like, I don't know. It's, it's so interesting how many levels there is to that. Yeah. I mean, and doing their laundry. <laughs> I mean, just wait until they're like, what happened to the plants that were supposed to be in that corner? And I, I saw the other ones, but what happened to the other ones? And you're like, well, they died. <laughs> so I forgot about them. So they thought, they thought all of them, they thought, well, I mean, I was supposed to go water them and then it was just like, okay, we're not going to be, I'm not going to go into this large apartment building. Let them go. But then <laughs> three of them, three of them are still alive. It's wild. Like they hadn't been watered for two months. I was just like, now they're with me in the house so plants are tough cookies um crazy also i just to because i'm you know resident spiritual person um it's it's a full moon tomorrow also p.s i also did all of this while having pms Ooh, oh you got a bonus round in extra layer um and then it's the full moon tomorrow and it's full moon in scorpio and i'm just gonna Read you something about full moon in Scorpio with this in mind, what I've just been doing. Uh. The dawn of hope arrives with the super full moon in Scorpio, bringing with it healing and compassionate energy. The last super full moon this year appears at 6.45 a.m. Eastern on Thursday, May 7th, preparing us for the eclipse season ahead. It's a transformational full moon, allowing us to activate deep processing and cleansing. Scorpio rules power and transformation, representing the mythic phoenix that rises from the ashes of destruction. The last weeks have brought many endings, but out of it soars a new perspective, ushering in fresh beginnings of possibilities. Full moons are the zenith of emotions and instincts whose loud volume can cause confusion. However, even though this full moon is opposite Mercury, highlighting the communication of our feelings to a possible point of conflict, the full moon trine Neptune enhances our imagination and creativity to reach compromise and comprehension. Mercury sextile Neptune renders us harmonious, perceptive abilities to navigate a compassionate path 
through the intensity. As clarity slowly returns, we need to ask how much have we discarded that was useless? How much did we learn that we can carry forward? We are being presented with an opportunity for metamorphosis like the scorpion sheds its skin by utilizing the spiritual and healing aspects of this full moon. We can start to dream again of a vibrant future while making peace with what has passed. Wow. I I wish you'd read that 10 minutes from now. It would have been a good place to stop. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, but when does the scorpion sting the frog? (laughs) When does that happen? skin i think that yeah i don't know maybe yeah i'm not saying that we're not like you know it was just like reading that while doing all of this was just like oh shit that was like pretty pretty wild but scorpios are bad people so i don't know what you're i I don't know how to feel about all this um you know (laughs) i don't i don't have i i might agree with you on that but you know it's scorpio full moon it's a different thing oh it's different okay scorpio people because We're all affected by all of the planets, yes, so you can't escape that easily, Will. <laughs> well, it's like the like an evil blood moon just going, ah, I'm going <laughs> to fuck you up. And you're like, oh, leave me alone. God. Oh, man, were you listening at all? Yes, I was. It's but... a time of transformation. We're going to shed our skin like the scorpion does. Yeah, but scorpions are shifty and untrustworthy. <laughs> okay. They're going to sting you in the back, and they're going to watch you drown and drown with you just because they can. Um, I think they're maybe cunning and, uh, you know, smart maybe too. Why, why are you so scared of this corpse? Wiley, Wiley. Yeah. Wiley's <laughs> Aristophanes over here needs to calm down. Okay. Metaphor. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, do you, do you want to shift gears a little bit? I want to ask you sure. something that we were talking about um, on text, which y- you had thoughts on intuition versus impulse. Back oh, to right. our conversation with Alan. Um, yes, I wanted to have that out with you a little bit. Do you? Okay. Yeah. I don't remember. I just remember not agreeing with Will's definition, which I feel bad about. Oh, it was, it was half-assed. It's fine. You can do that. Yeah. Maybe you were just like on the fly. I was just, cause you, I don't remember exactly what you were saying, but I was like, intuition to me is intuition to me is never wrong. It's never wrong. The thing that we sometimes we confuse um, programming and like negative subconscious beliefs with intuition. And that's when you get in trouble. And it's like there's a slight when you're doing something based out of fear or those like subconscious negative subconscious beliefs, there's like a slight like uh anxiety to the 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 feeling that you have whereas intuition is like to me it's always like a deep knowing you're just like yep and i i definitely think i mean from what i like practice like you can strengthen your intuition and like know like separate those things out and like really like be like this is my instinct and impulse is you can have an impulse to do something and then you need to take it's like a fast an impulse is a fast reaction. Yeah. And you have to take a quick beat before you act on your impulse. To no, be like... no. You should do the impulsive <laughs> thing just because you need to do it right then, even though you probably don't need to. But I feel... <laughs> it feels <laughs> so good. I feel like I take a quick beat and I'm like, is this 
is this good or is this like just wa- like me wilding out? And then it's just like, I think it's good. Like I'll go with it if it's good. And e- even if you do, like you don't, you aren't totally sure and you go with an impulse and it turns out not to be the right impulse. It's just like, you just need to take that little beat. But I don't, I think it's very different from like intuition. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think there's actually a fundamental disagreement really at all. Um, yeah. I think it's more just a question of willingness. Like, I think that's more in your character, Will, to just pounce on the impulsive thing regardless. Well, right. But what I, like, what I liked about what you were saying, Ulrika, is that there's the distinction between intuition and something like impulse or whatever word you want to use there. I think that's sort of a crude dichotomy. Um, is that intuition is from a deeper place or I would say of a higher order. Like it, it, things stem from intuition in in a way where they don't stem from impulse. Impulse is a phenomenon that just happens. It's not really um, from anywhere but your subconscious, which you can't really control. But intuition is something that you can kind of harness and work with. Impulse is more like a, um, it's like a weather pattern that happens, you know, or it's like, you don't like it, it, it's always going to come through. Like it's, it's going to come up, but it's not, you know, you can prepare for it in a different way. But like, if you're someone who takes, you know, if you're someone who usually takes the, the safest route possible, like an impulsive thing, even though you're like, this might be bad. Like it, it could be good from the learning of the badness. That's why I'm always, that's why I'm always like, yeah, if you feel like it, just do it. Like, no, I'm not saying I'm saying intuition is like a good tool to use, but you can use your intuition to make a difficult or like problematic decision. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Intuition should be a kind of like a a like a base knowledge that you can act on without thinking too hard on it. He's pointing to his lowest chakra. <laughs> like like you know what I mean? Like it's that kind of thing where you're just like, okay, and then snap and then you just do versus impulse is like you're making a decision you know it's probably going to be something that could go awry like impulse is just neat like that's why i said impulse is need based like it is the kind of thing where like eh, if i take a beat i'm just going to not do it and inaction is is potentially worse. okay well this is this is why why like listening to your conversation with alan i was like this is not my experience at the studio at all like my it is fucking torture because i like i being in that beat where you're watching what's happening it's like i don't think it's 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 really hard to like sit in that space i don't particularly enjoy it oh i never said it was fun i mean (laughs) i I just get the impression that people have much more fun in the studio than i do oh i I don't i don't think most serious artists have any fun in the studio people that are having fun in the studio are terrible artists that's literally impossible. You shouldn't be able to do that. And and but I, people I, seem to want to go to the studio, which I don't totally want to do. Really. Well, in this oh, part. I'm with you there. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, sorry. I've been reading. Um, because we read uh, those two books on the show. I don't know if you listened to that episode, Don DeLillo and um, Michelle Hallbeck. No. And, and I read another Michelle Hallbeck book because I liked the one that we covered here. And there's uh-huh. this there's this constant dialogue in his writing about being a writer and how difficult it is. And the same thing happens in David Foster Wallace. Like 
a lot of writers that I like tend to dwell on this idea that mostly what you're doing is being racked with anxiety because you don't know what to do. And then when something arises, you just do it almost compulsively and there's no helping it. And that's your work. But like going to the studio is the same way in that it's not really fun to sit there in that liminal space and try right. and try and work it out. But right. that effort eventually comes, but you just have to let it kind of flow. It's it's not really yeah. that conscious of a thing. Well, for me too, I, I can I make the I'll make the announcement if anybody's made it this far into the podcast. I have a new Instagram with new art that I'm making that's totally different than the art that I used to make. And like I used to make photorealistic stuff. So it was um I mean, on some level, it was like so deeply unexciting after a while because it was just like, I know more or less what it's going to look like. That Those decisions were taken away from me once I started the process of painting, which made it easy to do until I got burnt out. But oh, it the, also makes it incredibly boring, right? Like I've had this experience in the studio a lot, like working on a simply technical level. Once you've decided to execute an idea, it can be satisfying sort of, but it really loses that edge quick, at least for me. For, yeah. For in the long run, like I enjoy it a lot, but I, then my new work involves part of it. Like it's got embroidery and oil painting, but I'm embroidering into the oil paintings. And that's this like really laborious uh time-consuming thing that i don't have to think about that much but isn't that kind of satisfying what isn't that embroidery where you're just like throwing stitches very satisfying oh the most satisfying and thoughtless but at the same time the images i'm making now i'm not like they're not predetermined so i'm constantly like after i embroider a little part i'm like okay now i'm gonna like i'm constantly giving myself little puzzles to put together um so uh yeah like i'm i'm thinking a lot more about these kinds of choices that you guys were all talking about um in this new process of making this work i just want to say real quick that's at fourth moment if people want to follow Um, thank you also i like i'm interested in what you just said that especially coming from a photorealist background where now you're um not designing the paintings it sounds like where you're responding to yeah gestures one at a time i've always been really um on the fence about that i feel like that is what makes a really good artist and that's one of the most difficult things to do because in terms of a puzzle it's sort of like you don't even know what the border looks like yet so you can't even find the outside and then start to fill something in you have to make the shape of the puzzle at the same time that you're assembling it so it's a a doubly difficult game yeah why are you on the border that you love that shit um, I no, I don't really do that. I in terms of my studio, I tend to design sort of, and then I leave myself a little bit of clues. But I like to have a perimeter, and then figure out what the image is. Maybe that's the right. difference. Is like I don't know what the picture on the puzzle is, but I do have a border. Um, but it's interesting that maybe you could have all three of those balls in the air at the same time. You don't know what the final image is going to be. You don't know what the shape of the puzzle is, and you might not even know what the shape of the pieces are for a while yeah and it's super weird because it's painting and embroidery so it's got this like weird like three-dimensional level to it as well which is uh that like the way embroidery looks on a piece like changes like the it's just it's a lot of um components but i really i'm really excited and i i i'm gonna i had a little small victory i made a piece of duncan trussell 
and he um he you know he's did the midnight gospel that's now on netflix which is becoming popular but i made this i finished this piece of him in like on purpose before the midnight gospel came out so that i could get in touch with him via like instagram messages so he could see it and i sent it to him and he loved it and he was like really excited about it and posted it in his stories and i was just like yes this is so cool so and then i was like okay i'm gonna have to get going on this instagram now so it's not just like one piece right right one piece that got blown up by a celebrity yeah yeah but then i got like i did get a lot of traffic i have like a bunch of followers i have like no idea who they are so it was like really exciting to have that happen but now i'm like okay now it's like a thing so I really like that as a possible avenue for art going forward, too. Like, I like what you've done with your secret Instagram and um, especially the interaction with Duncan, because I think that there's a lot of snooty artists out there that would look down on something like that, you know? And, uh, Yo, I just straight up may- wanted to make a piece of Duncan Trussell because yeah. I love <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, I like but- I like the idea that you would just, like, ma- sort of make it for that limited audience i guess in duncan's case his audience is huge but it's really for him right and then by extension people like you that like him like that should be the avenue for um finding your audience no matter what type of work you're making rather than sort of being cloistered in a studio and then trying to do the same old um path of studio visits with minor gallerists then bigger ones then bigger ones like that's a terrible model you know I've been thinking in terms of space post Corona, like how the gallery is really bizarre because it's a space that like the person who owns the gallery is curating it. Right. So it's like, it's their idea of what something is supposed to be. Yes. But then it's like, no matter what you do as an artist, you are like kind of compromised into a situation and it's always Going to, I don't even like going to see art in galleries that much because you're self aware because the chick behind the the little computer is looking at you. It's like, it's just not, and then like, it's not fun to see things at openings. I would love now to make like, and I feel like a new level of freedom to do this with this, like, all these changes that it's like, I would love to see a space that was like constantly changing. And, like, basically, like, whoever had the gallery for a month gets to do whatever they want with it. And that you have more than just a gallery space. Like, you have, like, I, you know, I do spiritual stuff. So I'm like, why can't you have a fucking AA meeting in a gallery? Or, like, can you repeat you know, that, Ulrika? Uh, or, like, Ulrika, can you repeat what you just said? Can you repeat what you just said? You just cut out for a minute. We had some latency. Oh. I was just like, can you, why can't you have like an AA meeting in a gallery space? Like, why does it have to be this weird, like stiff space or like other kinds of meetings or book clubs or like, I don't want to say community center because that sounds like wicked lame, but I would much rather have a space where it's like maybe one month it's like people who are like, I follow some guy who's like really into BMX and he makes like the awesomest videos of him like biking around these crazy trails that he builds that are way better than a ton of art that I see, you know, like why can't him and all of his like BMX buddies, like take over that space for a while? Like, why is it always like that? The person that owns the space is going to have a vision. And it's like, that takes away from the creativity. Like I want 
some other i don't know do you, do you fo- sorry go ahead the i think what we're seeing is that the idea of putting on a show that 20s of people see outside of an opening is probably the worst idea in terms of real estate in the entire fucking world like yeah. like on the on the business and if you're a gallerist and you're like well we're just going to keep on having empty rooms that no one comes to or like 10 people come to that's insane like i don't and it's not fun no. it's not fun for anyone involved like it's just the idea that like you have to go to work and like as a gallery owner you're like well i have to go to my my store i have to keep up shop like we were talking about this there's the other day of like well arts and entertainment will reopen last in new york i'm like oh no if you're a gallery, you're going to reopen as a retail sector and everyone is going to have to grasp and grok with the idea that they are not achieving artfulness. They are just achieving a retail sales space. Like, like galleries are going to have to realize that they're showrooms. And if they want to be showrooms or if they care about art, they're going to have to have a real like fight of the ethics. And I I don't know what that's going to look like. I would just I would just add that they're not going to do that because they've always been self-aware retailers. Like, um, do you follow Brad Trammell on Instagram? Well, I mean, I don't give a shit what they do. I want to do something. No, different. no, I understand. We'll we'll get we'll get to it. But it, it's worth it's worth <laughs> outlining like what the what the circumstances are because we are going to enter into the same circumstances, right? Sort of. But I but I disagree. This is what I'm saying. I'm like I reject it. I just fucking reject it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like I don't like that space. I don't want to be involved yeah. in it. I don't, this is not how I want to spend my life like with the get, like I just don't like that system. Not to like shit all over it. No, no, no. Feel free. I mean, I think <laughs> you judge. It's just like No one's no. disagreeing with you. No. Like like it, I just it's think very we much do that. so we can just do so much better and like I don't really care what happens to the gallerist. Or no. Uh, yeah, that's not even a question. I don't give a shit. Yeah. But like, you know, like I did a lot of driving around today cuz that's Yeah. I get sanity from driving in circles uh-huh. through Manhattan and then around Brooklyn, whatever. Um, it was nice to be in traffic on the BQE. Um, but I had this realization. <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, for everyone who like, doesn't have like, who doesn't show often, like, I, and then I'd like stop by my studio cause I thought my window was open. Um, I was like, well, if I put a wall up over my storage, we could have a project space where it's like the show that no one sees and then anyone who can fit it in Corolla can have a show in my studio and then get really nice pictures and then that's a show on your CV and who gives a shit? No one sees it. We don't give a fuck. Like, as long as it's like a nice thing that you can have space to either the person live with the work outside of their, their own studio, like, we can do this for each other rather than relying on a market. Right. I just think that there could be like other ways of making like I just I just feel like that we're creative people and like our our the kind of like conditioning knee jerk reaction that this is like how things are is like it's not going to just like with your job. It's like it's not going to change until we decide to do something different. I mean, if I want to do a show for just like Duncan Trussell type, like spiritual psychedelic, you should have the space to do that. And I can do it well without it being like some cheesy bullshit. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's why it was worth drawing out the distinction between what galleries are doing and then what you want to do, you know? Because, like, well, right. I'm not saying your thing is a bad idea, but it also relies on basically the same framework. White walls and a limited duration and wall-based works, more or less, maybe it some sculptures or videos. But, like, I'm really interested right now in the idea that certain forms of culture whether it's art or cinema or whatever, they arise at certain times because of her- certain historical conditions. And then as those conditions change, they become irrelevant, right? And I think that's yeah. kind of happening to conventional forms of art right now or has been happening for a really long time. And I think like even something like movies are a good example. They're on the verge of this. Like As everything becomes a Marvel movie, there's no real point in cinema anymore until you decide to do something else with that form and present it in a different fashion. So if you're going to yeah. do Trolls, Trolls World Tour. So if you're going to do a show in your studio, it's good in one way. It does serve the community, but it's also relying on the same like institutional stylings as everything else. And I think Ulrika, yeah. you're talking about something even more profound, which is like getting away from that completely. Like what if all the, this is really dumb, so forgive me, but like all the walls could be curved and painted black. And yeah, suddenly yeah. and suddenly you have a totally different Right, but yeah, and I'm even more interested than like in the space. I'm interested in uh, how we bring people together to be in that space. Like, I'd rather have a dinner party in the middle of the fucking gallery, and then like you know, so you can look at the art a little bit longer. Like, let's uh, you know, you can look at a painting for a long time, but you want to kind of like revisit it in different environments where you feel comfortable. But I like all art looking experiences are like a little alienating to me. Yeah. Yeah. They are are severely uncomfortable because there's so much standardization in terms of how it can be viewed. And you're like, like, you know, like, cause I don't know how often do you go out and walk? Well, in the normal times, how often do you go walk with walk a show with like a normal and you're just like, I got to go down here. Like while we're down here, having dim sum or before we get drinks can we go see the show because it's like right there and they're like right this is cool like this is great and you're just like to have that level of energy when you're just like this right. is an obligation for me as a person in the world and they're just like yeah this shit's great oh wow we get to go downstairs i oh. feel yeah i feel like i almost downshift when i go into a space to look at art and it's like you want to be more focused you know yeah. what i mean and it's just like how do you lift like, I want to be fr- more free. I don't want those, like, meta layers of narrative of, like, I'm in this space and this means... It's just, like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. It's not fun. And, like, yeah. there's no joy. Like, it's the reverse yes. condoing of what you're doing in your parents' apartment. You're just like, oh, I'm in this space. No joy. All bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's be- it's because the art in- ends up becoming defined by the parameters of the space and the market and the and the people in charge of it. So art start, right. art starts to conform itself to these really boring standardized things. And so 100%. it's like the, one of the things that happens to me is like, I can go into a Jasper John show in a regular gallery and be supremely focused because I love his work. And I know that it is not dependent on those things, but right. I can't say the same for most other art because most other art is simply a commodity that is designed yeah. for that situation. So if you're talking about making art that's not designed for that, it's designed for Duncan Trussell's audience. Just for example, I know that's reductive, but like yeah. that means that 
maybe those paintings aren't even rectangles anymore. Maybe those things are only on the internet. Like, like there's, there's a ton of ways around it that have nothing to do with even trying to mirror the conditions we've been a part of for. Right. There's, there's only going to be two solutions. If you only offer up two solutions when in reality, there's uh, literally exponential solutions to this problem. And I think that we're like in a nice space to start, really thinking about what 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 that's going to look like right yeah it's it's this well we're also at the like sanity level of during this word now instead of feeling anxiety we can start thinking about what the uh tunnel looks like we're in our childlike uh our child- <laughs> the gestation period can now begin yeah why yeah. right but for now we're in a really narrow space but it is about to open up yeah i think it could be cool Ulrika, I'm having a good time. I feel like I could talk to you forever, but are you trying to? <laughs> oh, I'm just like, I'm just like self-aware that it's an hour. This is the personal assistant in me. I'm like, so I guess we're done. <laughs> <laughs> we can no, always like just think... turn off the record if you want, but like, I don't know. I, don't, I don't know. I feel like we should just keep recording if you want. Do you, I mean, do you have sure. anything more to say if you don't? I, I don't know. I have I'm just... so much to do. I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> You're so busy. It's nine. It's nine twenty-two. Time to go do this. Oh wait, never mind. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I do. You know. No, I'm happy to. T- I, I like. I. I will say, like my before this happened, my plan. I have. Let's see. I have like eight. I think I have like I don't know how many pieces I have on the Instagram. Maybe like six or seven. My plan before um, Corona was like to get like. 12 pieces together and then i don't i definitely i'm still gonna never put my name on the instagram Hmm. and just like leave it because like before i was going to be more protective about being like um anonymous uh now uh like if people know who it is i don't care anymore for some reason like because i feel like these parameters have opened up and i'm not as closed in but I just thought about it once when I was at the Met and I was looking at, you know, all sorts of art. And I was like, I like looking at art that I don't know who the artist is. <laughs> there's this weird freedom there's, in it. There's no baggage. And I was just like, I want people, I don't want all of this like narrative that gets tied up with like Instagram and like me being performative in my Instagram or whatever like I'm using it as like a, you know, I'll still be performative, but like hopefully it's not about me. You know what I mean? Right. The, right. And the life lived around it. Exactly. Yeah. Where it's just like, and I, like this is not like everybody can absolutely do whatever they want, but this is just like the way that I'm thinking about it. And it's just like funny to me that it was like the only way I saw that this was possible before this was that I had to stay totally anonymous. And now I'm just kind of like, oh, I just, I'm like, I felt this kind of like, no, this thing happened with Duncan. I'm going to put some stuff up. I'm not going to like cross promote it on my other, you know, Instagram. I'm just going to like leave it. And then we'll see, we'll see where it goes. Oh my God. I have so much to say about that. I feel like that's very prescient because I follow a lot of meme accounts that are run by like multiple admins, for example. So you don't know who any of, you don't know who any of, (laughs) 
God damn it. I, listen, I understand that Will's job on this podcast is to have levity and do bits, but I am eternally frustrated by having my monologues interrupted. I, I just feel like I, ha- I, I, cannot, I cannot let that pass. God damn it. Oh, I love doing that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a fan of Will's humor on the show that laughs in the monologue. I'm sure. <laughs> it's too bad. I know, I know that it's not a positive quality for me, but I can't help it. I fucking hate it. Yeah. So nom, 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 nom. Get to work um, that. Yes. <laughs> Well, that's why that's why you're a fat man in waiting. That's what I have against you. That's when it, that's when it comes out when we start talking about elastic waistbands and your little man titties over there. But, um, Tell me how I was pressing again. <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, I follow all these Instagram accounts that are like run by multiple admins, right? So you don't know who these people are. You could maybe suss it out if you wanted to do some really deep research on it, but you still get a sense of personality, right? Right. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about here. So, like, you're, you know, you're you're giving us a peek behind the curtain more than they do. Um, but it's the same kind of attitude. I think this happens a lot on the Internet, whether there's multiple yeah. admins or only one where, like, somebody like mean meme tides or like moist Buddha or like these famous Instagram accounts like that name is their name. If I ever learned their Moist real name, Buddha is a name. Yeah, it's a good account. That's disgusting. If I ever learned their real name, it would deflate it a little bit in some yeah. in some ways. And it, even if it didn't, I wouldn't pay attention to that part of it. Yeah. Well, this was the flaw in the jogging, and it's you know like this idea in its early days before meme culture began because the jogging was like well they always credited like who did what and there was no true like an anonymity. Uh, caching around um so then you could like follow you know using the vernacular follow accordingly um which now no one cares everyone realizes the benefit of that anonymity of going well we can all be like a minor collective voice around a shared ideogram i don't want to say ethos because that doesn't track but like the idea of seems right and that it doesn't have to be this kind of like, I'm saying this, you're receiving this. Right. I'm, and I like, like, this is slightly tangential, but I also think it's like into how I'm thinking. Like, I've also stopped going to 95% of my Kundalini classes and like my spiritual classes. What? With, and I just, it was because I had this moment while this was happening. I feel like teachers, there's a joy to teaching and there is like, you know, that, that, you know, you get a certain joy out of it. And a lot of people, it's very healing also to be a teacher, but if you're a teacher who wants to get something across to people because you think that they are feeling a certain way, then you create a situation where your students or like whoever's coming to you has to deal with like your projections of like what you think that they want to feel. That's a bad teacher. Well, no, but I mean, this is like now it's like all this grief stuff and the Corona, it's like so fucking confusing. And I kept on showing up to these spaces where I was just like, I don't want to be the person that's fulfilling this other person's view of how they want to see the world. Right. Yes. And I was like, I know what I'm doing. Like, and I know how to do this stuff. Like if anything, I want to go to a space where I'm part of a community and then there is nobody telling me what that community looks like. 
yes, or exactly. you're going to do. Because I have to be able to feel like my voice is heard in, in, or like that my, my experience is unencumbered by other people's projections of what they want it to be. And I'm like, that has made me think so much about like, how do you create a space that doesn't tell people what to be? Well, it's also like you don't want to go to it. You don't want to do a thing where you're like, am I in a crisis hotline group now? Like now right. this is what we're all subscribing to. Like that is irresponsible. Like in this. But is then like- if you tie that, if you tie that to, then I was thinking about that in terms of the gallery. It's like, why do I have to go to a gallery where I see the gallerist's vision of what an artist is? Yeah. Right. It's like the yeah. same kind. Of, so how do you create spaces that are free of this like curation and ownership of what you're looking at so that you can actually have an experience? It's not like fucking hokey. That's re- yeah. that's really well put. It, it, it's really easy for a teacher or a gallerist to become a straw man of actual wisdom. You right. almost you don't have to earn anything if you have a teacher telling you how to do it. And and it's not a it's not a question of bad teacher or good teacher. It's an inherent trap of the system of teaching and pedagogy. You can't get out of it if that's the structure. That's always what it's going to result in. And you as a student have to remember that you're going there for guidance so that you can figure it out for yourself. Exactly. And that you have to let that fucking die. Yes. That is the whole point. Which, I mean, this is the problem that I have with a lot of, again, the pedagogical problem of like, well, if you subscribe to my model, like, you're doing well. And it's like, what the fuck? Ew. Like, that was always my experience. Well, it's not only that. You have to instill an understanding that you don't want to subscribe to any model. Yeah. That you want to create your own. And that Absolutely. that cannot be done through teaching exactly. It can be right. done when teaching reaches its terminus. And, Ulrika, you've had this moment. Where there's no longer anything for you to glean from this experience. Right. But at the same But so does that beg the question of do you become your own teacher? That also seems wrong because you're gonna lead a bunch of other students down the same path eventually. Towards it your might, path. Yes. Well, no, towards any path at all. They need to make their own. That's hard right, to but I think but I think that it's like that's a, well, that goes back a little bit to like impulse and intuition and like and making sure that you're not whenever you're in an experience and I even think that this is like interpersonal like it can come down to just like relationship stuff where you're not saying like I need you to be this so that I can feel a certain way like a good relationship should be like two people that are like I I got my shit going on and I don't need you to define my role for me (laughs) you know like that that's you're both there together because you want to be there together because you like each other. And then if that stops working, you move on. And that's this, 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 like, that's an American. Yeah. That's why I have a four month time timer on all my dudes. And capitalistic thing that everything's got to last forever. Right. Did I lose you guys? Yeah, you did for a second. I got the gist of it. Okay. It's a very American, like sort of individualistic capitalist thing to, constantly define yourself in opposition to other people is that a fair summary or not not in opposition to other people but like by opposition well, sounds bad but like in in relation to other people and that that is final right that right. that is like that you've that you do it and then you hold it 
forever. It's like that shit dies too. You know what I mean? Like relation, like that. There's just yeah. like we hold it for four months and then you fifty dump them. years. <laughs> like sometimes that's not an achievement to just hold on to something forever. But that's a little bit of this grief process again. Sure. It's like getting used to being like, "Fuck, I gotta let this go." You know. Right. Yeah, that... Letting go is ho- I don't know. Is that hard for people? Oh, so hard. People prefer to do things that are painful over and over and over and over again because it is familiar. It is yeah. more, you are more inclined to go get into a relationship where you are like hurt in the same way over and over because you know how to deal with that brand of pain as opposed to like a whole new fresh hell that you're going to come yeah. or like, you know, like a different kind of pain that is, is this like, I don't know what this is. That's why, you know, not knowing is what the mind strives against. And it's like, mm-hmm. if you can feel comfort or like, or, or at least acceptance of like, I don't really know what this is going to be. That helps you all the time. Yeah. I mean, people to cling to shit like motherfuckers. Man. I mean, yeah. Like this, I mean, like I'm acknowledging my own hypocrisy, but like, this is why, like I, like I said, like that honesty is the most overrated because like, again, like shouldn't you just be that way with yourself and others all the time? So like, if it's like, Oh wow. I was so honest. Let me pat myself. Fuck you. You should, you should have done that as a generous person in the world anyway. Like it's insane that you're withholding just to keep some modicum of pleasantry. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's got to st- like this kind that, of like, that's got to go, right? I think that's that's like what I said a lot, like a little bit in the beginning, where I was just like, I'm kind of like I don't care anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like I don't think we. I don't. Yeah, when I heard you guys talking about like small talk or whatever, you guys were talk- in the last episode. You were talking about like what that's like, and it's like, why do we do that? You know, why do we oh, put man. our in these situations that we don't I mean yes you do have to like not judge and like potentially there's something you don't see that you don't even know about so you want to be open to new experiences but there's no it's not a virtue to like suffer all the time you know no I'm, yeah. but, but I mean in terms of small talk I would say that small talk functions conversationally the same way that a hug functions for grieving like it's it's a little bit like a palliative thing to get you involved in the experience, right? And it can yeah, go yeah. a bad way or a good way. It can be a very comforting thing or it can be a way of avoidance. And I, unfortunately, I think yes. in America especially, but all around the world, it's mostly a means of avoidance. So when right. we were talking about it, what I was trying to get at is that like, if you go in knowing that most people are using this as bullshit, you can right. get around that if you're careful. And right. you could look at that and say, well, I don't want to do that. I'm either too lazy for it or I reject that on principle. But unfortunately, that's the world you live in. It might not be the world anymore, which is what's really interesting. No, no. Yeah, I, yeah, I was just saying it's like that. Why, like, I think I'm hoping that those those uh spaces of like that taking a beat in that moment being like do i want to be here is this the conversation i want to have and if i want to walk away and that doesn't make that person or that makes that person feel a little uncomfortable 
Yeah, do that thingy thing again. Yeah, that's be a little uncomfortable. Do the little violin pokey. What? Yeah, that. Thank you. Boop. Done. Sorry. Well-formed baby? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Will's doing his usual thing of brutally interrupting a really interesting conversation for a dumb bit or piece of social media. I need to... Thanks, <laughs> Will. I think you were really listening to the conversation. I was, and the, I was, but then I saw the... the the, the image of the like the hand going like what is this i'm like oh, everyone will know we all know what that is so like it's a good uh again it's a good ideogram of like that yeah, that good. space so that's i was good. like i need that again thank you it was worth it it was worth it well you know ulrika i think i said as much kind of with will on that show which was like um there's conversations you just don't want to be a part of and that's also fine yeah like, you can just not do that and right. it took me a really long time personally to learn that that was even an option. And then there's layers to that, you know, like there's layers of how deep that goes. And it's like constantly asking yourself that question. I listen to a podcast and the podcast host, she's always just like, she gets people sending her emails, telling her she's crazy or whatever. And she's like, you know what you can do? avert your eyes like you don't have to watch this youtube video it's just like right. it's up to you it's like totally your decision you know it's like and that you have to also admit to yourself that like sometimes when you don't like something you like not liking that thing you know what i mean like that there's a pleasure in that yes. but you have to know that that's what you're doing just be honest with yourself about like oh there's a little pleasure in this in catching yeah oh i mean like and that's that's a terrible realization that you have to go through where you're just like i did that but god i just i did that just so i can bitch about it amongst closer friends or whatever and just to be like oh i did this and And it's like well that's more about your inability to grapple with your own nonsense right Right. And, and then like, and uh, then that shit gets real real when you start realizing like stuff that you actually think you're upset about. Oh yeah. Also serving you somehow, you know? And that that's when that's when that's when spiritual work gets real hairy. <laughs> so like, oh good. Okay. Good to know that I'm on some kind of level. Great. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Like I really like I wasn't lying when I was like I was so move to hear that that was your 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 greatest achievement when you were just like i i decide i decide yeah it was like so self-aware and beautiful i was like really it was like that is a good achievement well <laughs> i do I it know. out of spite i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i do it out of pure spite Yes. You have more fun sometimes than I can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't like sitting with myself, so I'll do it out of spite. Mm. Yeah. I think you have a yeah. very interesting problem, which is your your self-awareness might be too much, actually. I think sometimes your joy in your snark is oh, maybe yeah. your greatest weakness. Oh, yes. It's both <laughs> your greatest strength and your greatest it's a, weakness. It's a wild Achilles heel. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. I love it. I, I'm a fan, personally. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a fan, too, it's, for the record. Oh, oh, wait. Put Mark the timer on that one so we can uh, <laughs> have that per, for posterity reasons. Never mind. I'm going to edit that part out. Oh. <laughs> God. <laughs> I edit anything out. Oh, man. 
Well, Rika, this has been good. I feel like that's a good place to stop. We can we Thank can you. let you off the I hook. Feel, this is a really fun. I feel like I got a little punchy there in the end a few times. So yeah, I, that's, I, good. that's good. Well, you've been going through a lot of aggression and grief lately. It's only natural. Uh, and I also I have been avoiding drinking, uh, and I had two glasses of wine right now, so I was a little fired up. <laughs> a, little, was, a little loosened up around the edges. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. No, and thank and you. Pretty cathartic to talk about this in the middle of it. I was like really kind of looking forward to it because I, I did also, like my father in posterity, wanted to like somehow mark this. Record it, yeah. Well, so. question. So Friday is the last day, right? Yeah. Do you want me to send you a picture of the empty apartment as the... <laughs> No, do you want to do a toast on the uh, on the steps of the apartment from Corolla? Oh, that would be fun. We could do that. Oh my god! Yeah, I'll take a drive. I I love I love driving around the city because you know what? There's no fucking traffic, so I can go wherever. Maybe we'll do that. That would be beautiful. I have a half bottle of Vogue that I could drink. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just literally throw the throw the glasses in the car shatter them on the street like i saw the guy eating an orange and tossing out the peels <laughs> out his window just lift the mask just enough to take a sip and then pull it back down and then pull it back down and <laughs> toss it into you know the 60s i feel like we should break a bottle of champagne over the hood of corolla like christening a battleship <laughs> she doesn't need any more dents <laughs> no. <laughs> It's not a ship going on its first voyage. <laughs> yeah, she's she, she's she's tired. In a certain way, it might be. Uh, okay. Oh well, this was nice. Thank uh, thank you for coming on strong and scheduling it and everything. This this is oh. all you. I'm I'm glad I'm glad you yeah. wanted to do it. It was nice. Thanks. Thank you so much, guys. Thank all right. you. All right. Good night. Good night. Good luck. 